0: Welcome back to Uncommon Church. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here. Hi, Conrad. Right? Today we're going to continue our series called Real Church, which is a verse-by-verse walkthrough of the book of 2 Corinthians. This week we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to go through verses 1 through 15. If you have your YouVersion app, you can follow along there. If you couldn't access it through the app, you can go to uncommonoc.info and click on online bulletin, or you can just open up your old-fashioned Bible book and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to go through that verse by verse 1 through 15. It's kind of long. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. So starting at the top, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul is writing to the church in in Corinth. We talked about this before, about the drama between the false teachers, the false apostles, and the crowd, the pro-Paul crowd versus the pro, we called him Bob. Remember, Bob was the false apostle, false preacher. So we had the Paul crowd and the Bob crowd. So Paul's written to these guys talking about how they were swayed and, and led astray by this false teacher, false apostle named, for our purposes today, Bob. So starting verse one, Paul writes, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one that we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done. And this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And in the end, they will get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve. It's a lot. It's a lot. We're going to unpack it verse by verse. And I want to kind of, I think we've been teaching a lot from Paul's perspective. How Paul might be feeling and how Paul sees the situation. But I want to look at it a little bit differently. I want to look at it kind of from the church's perspective. Because I feel like Paul is kind of deputizing them here. You guys know what that means? Like you ever watch the old westerns? where, you know, the the bad guy shows up in town and the sheriff doesn't, you know, there's no one to fight the bad guy, so the sheriff comes and deputizes, you know, the white hat and says, you gotta take on the the rustlers, you know, or whatever it is. And so they're basically empowered to root out the villains and run them out of town, basically. You know the little star they put on the chest? You are now a deputy. Go, Deputy Tim, and root out these bad guys. I think what Paul's doing here is he's saying, (laughs) I think Paul's saying, hey, guys, you fell for this, but I'm not really surprised. This is how you can prepare yourself and protect yourself next time. I almost thought when I first read through this, is he just kind of rubbing their face in it? Is he saying, hey, I promised one thing. You guys went left when you should have gone right. You zigged when you should have zagged. You're bad. But I think he's saying it more in a way that's educational. To prepare them more for the future, and I don't know. I think if I were one of the people in Corinth who had gone through this pro-Paul versus pro-Bob kind of a split, I'd be wondering, how did this happen? There are some things that happen today, and we look around and we go, wait a second, how did this happen? How did we get here? Whether it's something, a tragedy, uh, uh, think about Puerto Rico. You know, how did this happen? How did all these people die? How were we not prepared? How do we not have a better plan? Things like that. You ever see, whenever there's an earthquake, people go buy earthquake kits after the earthquake? You ever go to Home Depot after an earthquake? Right up front, there's a big display of earthquake kits. Because people go and buy the protection after the incident. Same thing as when there's a heat wave in the summertime, all the fans are on sale. All the fans are out front at Home Depot or whatever store you might shop at. And so people tend to... Buy or seek protection after the fact. And here in Corinth, the thing had already happened. And so Paul's saying, hey, look, you guys messed up. But don't be surprised if this happened because this is how Satan works. And I feel like in some ways he's kind of deputizing them to to be on the lookout for this happening again. I'm confident he's saying, hey, I'm not surprised this went down. Watch yourself, check their intent. So today we're going to talk about false teachers, excuse me, and how people can be led in the wrong direction, and how we can kind of, as deputies, spot the bad guys, if you will, and what we can do to protect ourselves, and really, I think most of the people in the room, because I know pretty much everybody, I'm not too worried that you're being led astray by some false teacher, but I feel like the people in your lives and the people that you have probably invited to church or the people that you've had conversations with about God or about the Lord, they probably had some kind of a negative experience with someone that is either a false teacher or that is misguided or has bad theology, whatever you wanna call it. And so you have an opportunity outside of these walls to be a deputy and point out those things that might be wrong, point out those things that could be false teaching or those people that could be false teachers so that when that friend invites you to their church, hey Conrad, you wanna come to my church? Sure, tell me a little bit more about it. Ooh. And I have a story I want to share with you. I told the story to Shane. He knows it. And Jenna. A few months ago, when we first were getting ready to plant Uncommon Church, and we were talking about the different things that we believe as a church Jenny and I were talking about women as pastors because she grew up in a a system where women were not allowed to be pastors. And I said, I don't have a problem with that. Clearly, there's a lot of female leaders in the Bible. And as we talked about before, we believe that pastoring is not who you are, but what you do. We look at pastor as a verb, just like shepherd is a verb. And so Jenny wanted to go and hear a female pastor speak. And we took a trip to a church in Costa Mesa. And I don't wanna say the name of the church because I don't want to give any negative publicity. I don't want to tear those guys down. But if you're curious, I'll tell you. It's actually directly across from Vanguard, where Shane and I went to school. And I used to see it all the time when we'd go to class. And I thought, okay, I knew there was a female teacher there because they're part of an organization called American Baptist Churches USA, ABC USA. And my personal mentor, the first guy that I spoke to when I felt this calling to ministry, he works for ABC USA. And so he had told me, maybe you guys should plant and be a part of us. And I don't, I don't know. I checked out the website. And in my searches for other churches in the area, I came across this one in Coast Space. And they had a female pastor. i got no problem with it. And Jenny and I went to go check it out. Well, it was a little bit different. When I say it was different, one of the things I noticed right away, of course, we pull up, there's a big uh, marriage equality sign. And personally, I've got no problem with marriage equality. If you guys want to get married, that's cool. I've got no problem with that. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting, they're advertising this. Let's go inside. We go inside, it's a beautiful church. Beautiful church. I really liked the way it looked. The people were nice. I think one guy even over greeted me, you know, when they shake your hand two and three and four times. Anyway, long story short, we start singing worship songs. And they had changed the word he to one, or you. And instead of father, it was creator. And instead of son, it was, you know, God, they, they changed a lot of the lyrics of some very familiar songs. I don't remember what it was. This is six, seven months ago. Shane, do you remember? No. No? Anyway, they first, I noticed we were singing a very different lyric. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I understand that some people there maybe had some, uh, some gender identity concerns. Not saying that's wrong or right. Well, I am saying, well, I wanna be careful here. I will say it this way. I've always known God to be a he, the Bible calls him a he, I call him he. I've always known Jesus to be a man, a son of God, so I call him a son of God. I've always known the Holy Spirit referred to as he, so I call him he. So it was a little strange for me to walk into this place where they said one, or creator instead of father, and they changed it. And that was my first clue that I was in unfriendly territory. It was my first clue that I was somewhere I hadn't been before, and I'll make the story a little short, I don't wanna take it too long, but when the preacher came up and he started to talk, He literally said, you don't have to take up your cross. He even said, he was proud that he never made a decision to fall Christ. He said, I was born into this, and this is how I know I'm saved. And later on, he said, Jesus isn't the only way to the cross. Or Jesus isn't the only way of salvation. There are many ways to get to heaven. And at that point, my discernment, spidey senses are tingling, and I had to get out of there. I mean, Jenny and I, and I look at Jenny, and she's writing little notes to me on the bulletin. And I'm like, let's get out of here, you know? And we ran. We ran for the hills because it was really uncomfortable. Have you ever been in a situation where spiritually you just felt uncomfortable? Where somebody said something or did something that physically changed the way you felt? Am I the only one? That is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to us, is that sixth sense, that spirit of discernment, that spiritual gift of discernment to know if something is right or wrong. And so, When I was reading through this and preparing this week, I kept thinking of that experience because here was a guy who was charismatic. Here was a guy who was handsome. Here was a guy that was passionate and well-spoken, but the things he was saying did not line up with the things that I knew of the Bible. The songs they were singing did not match the songs that I sang and that I knew about my God and the God of the Bible. It's not even about my personal convictions. It's about what we read and what we understand from the Word. And so when I read this chapter and Paul's talking about false teachers and and false testimony, I could only think of that place. And the scariest part is that someone I respect, a reverend doctor, is part of an organization that endorses this church. And they're not just ABC USA. They're, I think, Universalist or something else. I didn't know that. The website I went to said ABC USA. But apparently there's more to it than what I saw. And so I'm going to go through this, but I want you to think and imagine or remember the last time you felt spiritually uncomfortable that you I call them spidey senses. I guess that's cheesy, but I'm a comic book kid. It's awesome. I, if your spiritual spidey senses are tingling, you're going, something just ain't right. All right, let's keep going. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul says, I hope you will put up with a little bit more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. Paul hates self-promotion. If you remember, he started off chapter 10 by saying, hey, guys, you messed up. Remember the tone change? This is what a lot of people believe is a severe letter. He changes his tone and he's saying, hey, guys, you messed up. Don't fall for this again. So he says, look, I don't want to keep going on and on defending myself. I don't want to keep going on and on talking about this guy, Bob. I just, I just want to get to more, more Jesus. So that part is he's just saying, hey, I don't want to deal with this. Uh, verse 2, he says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. That word jealous, the Greek word jealous means to be in zealous pursuit. Other ways to desire earnestly, to strive for or to exert oneself for. To be jealous, like we sing that song, He is Jealous for Me. Jealous has a negative connotation between a man and a woman or relationships or romantic relationships. But in this situation, this word just means I really passionately, earnestly desire this for you. And what Paul is saying is I'm pursuing you passionately and earnestly just as God is passionately and earnestly pursuing you. Paul wants them to be untainted. Pure. And in fact, the word uh, pure bride is really a virgin bride. He's saying, I don't want you to have any negative experiences. I don't want you to ever have belonged to anyone else other than God. Verses 3 and 4, he says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was corrupted by the cunning ways of the serpent. And you happily put up with whatever anyone's te- anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. If. I actually made the word if capital here. I wasn't supposed to. I was in my notes. It's capital and it's red. Because that word if can be taken completely out of the equation. Because it's already happened. I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion will be corrupted. You will put up with anything anyone tells you, if they pre- even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach to you. 2 Corinthians 11.4 in the NASB translation says, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which, we, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You bear this beautifully. What Paul's saying is you guys are really good at falling for this stuff. You guys are, if this was an Olympic sport, you guys would better. You guys fell for it hook, line, and sinker. You guys bear this beautifully. You received this false testimony. You received this false witness. You followed this false teacher with a, a passion and a zeal that I don't understand is what Paul's saying. And the reason why he can say this and the reason why I believe they fell for it and the reason why people fall for it today is because Well, number one, well, false teachers have a certain gift, and I'll get to that in just one second. The first thing I want to point out is that false teachers proclaim another Jesus and a different gospel. False teachers proclaim another Jesus and a different gospel. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase, game recognizes game. You ever heard that? Anybody? No? Okay. Thank you, Conrad. Anybody else except Conrad? All right. Thank you. Game-recognized game. Actually, it's from a cartoon that I probably shouldn't talk about, but I first saw it on a cartoon. (laughs) You know me and my pop culture references. This little uh, bad child says to his grandfather, he says, game-recognized game, granddad, and you're looking mighty unfamiliar, right? So he's saying, I got swag. Granddad, you don't have swag, so I don't see you the way I used to see you. But what I'm saying in this context is, hey, if I come to you and I tell you about this guy, Jesus, and he's the son of God. And he came down and became a human. And he lived a life where he taught and, and healed and, and made a difference. And then he was killed on a cross. He was buried, after, And after three days he rose again. And he is the way to the Father. He is the way to salvation. He is the way to heaven. That sounds pretty stinking familiar, right? You've heard that before. But just like when I was at that church in Costa Mesa and they said, that's not the only way. You don't have to take up your cross and follow this Jesus guy. This isn't the only way to get to Jesus. I didn't recognize his game. I didn't recognize what he was saying. And me and the wife looked at each other like, did he really just say that? And I told Shane after the fact, I said, I don't use this word lightly, but this was heresy. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where something was heretical. But when you say that you can get to heaven any way other than Jesus Christ, which they're reading from the very same Bible that we read, you're not recognizing, you're not talking about the same guy that I'm talking about. Your Jesus is a very different Jesus than the one that I know. Your Jesus is a very different Jesus than the one that I follow. So when I don't recognize your Jesus, i got to take a step back. If you ever talk to someone at work, one of your friends, whatever, and they say, oh, I, I like Jesus, but he's not the only way to heaven. Spidey senses. Because what I believe, and what I believe most of us here believe, is there's one way. Because they tell us, Jesus tells us there's one way. You might hear someone say that Jesus was a great prophet, a guru, a great teacher, an archangel, a political revolutionary, anything but God in the flesh. But any gospel that denies salvation is by grace through faith alone or adds any kind of human worth or human effort to the gospel of the New Testament is false. The Corinthians were accepting a different gospel than what they had heard Paul preach, and it looked good, and it sounded good, and it was corrupt, and it was incomplete. So how did they get away with it? How did this guy that we're calling Bob, this false teacher come in and, and fool these people who had heard the same, blessing, the same gospel that we've heard that we know to believe. The reason why is because false teachers have a lot of charisma. False teachers are very, very, very charismatic. Think about it for a second. If I say false teacher, don't yell it out, or you can if you want to, let's have some fun. If I say false teacher, who do you think of? Joel Osteen is a popular one. <laughs> Anybody else? I think of a lot of pastors. Benny Hinn? I think of Creflo Dollar, right? Mr. Give Me a Plane, you know? There are a lot of them out there. You can turn on the TV on a Saturday or a Sunday, and you're going to see a lot of people up there talking about Jesus, but that Jesus is going to sound pretty different than the Jesus you and I know and read about and talk about. But the difference is, out of all the people we named, are any of them ugly? Of all the people we named, are any of them poorly dressed? Do any of them come at you broke or, you know, bad teeth or, you know, do they ever really share stories of trials and tribulations? Their charisma is off the charts. False teachers have a lot of charisma. Second Corinthians 11, five through six, Paul writes, but I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles, which are in quotations, who teach such things. Paul says, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. And we've made this clear to you in every possible way. What Paul is saying, anybody remember those old TV commercials, the Pepsi Challenge? You guys, maybe my young people don't know. The Pepsi Challenge was, they would take a Pepsi and a Coke and they would hide the can. And you had to drink one and say which one you preferred. And then they would reveal which one you like better, because a lot of people identify with the brand of Coke, but not necessarily the taste of Coke. At least that's what Pepsi was saying. I personally was a Pepsi drinker before I met my wife. My wife was born in Atlanta, so she's just Coke to the bone. And I am now a Coke products drinker after 12 years. But the point of the Pepsi challenge was you don't know what you like. You don't know which one's better. So let me blind taste test it, and you'll choose which one you like, and then I'll give you a feeling of of what's really good or what you really prefer. Why do I bring that up? Paul's saying, I'm not lacking in knowledge. You might have put us side by side and said, this guy is great. I prefer this guy. But it's not because I don't know what I'm talking about. Paul's saying, the reason why you like him, Bob, is not because I don't know my stuff. You can put me up against anybody, Paul's saying, and I know what I'm talking about. And he definitely does. So Paul has a very good point here. He doesn't see himself as inferior. He may not be a skilled speaker, but he says, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not lacking in knowledge. Because Paul was repeatedly criticized for being crude, amateurish, and unskilled in his preaching. He wasn't very eloquent or polished or particularly interesting to listen to. But there was a reason for that. Paul did it intentionally, let me explain why. First Corinthians 1:17, Paul writes, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Let me read that again. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. First Corinthians two verses one through five, he writes reiterating this same point. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul said, I may not be a very impressive speaker, but I did that on purpose. Now maybe Paul is still in his best day with his wisest words, might not have been as charismatic as Bob, but he definitely knows his stuff. And his plan in coming to this rich, hoity-toity, well-educated area was to humble himself and use plain speech and talk to them in weakness rather than coming in a position of power. So that the cross of Christ would be glorified and not Paul. Because look, just a few, a short time later, they got wowed by someone who had eloquent eloquent speech. Someone who used big words, somebody who was polished. So Paul knew, God knew, and Paul knew that the way to reach these people was not to try to compete with their knowledge, not to try to compete with their wealth or their wisdom, but to come in humble and plain and just glorify God and the cross rather than trying to become a rock star. Paul didn't want people to be impressed with him as a speaker, but with Christ as the Savior. I promise you this, the cross is enough, Jesus is enough. If you need a fog machine and laser lights and God knows what else to get close to the Lord, then maybe, well, I'll tell you this way, my spidey senses tingle. I visited a church, it's a very popular church. It's in Lake Forest, if you know what I'm talking about. I visited twice, the first time I was younger, Jenny and I had just gotten married, it was 2007. And we took my son, who was four years old, and we went up to see Saddleback. I'd never been there before. My son, actually I don't know if you, have you been there? Yeah. Okay. You know the parking guys? What do they wear on their hands? Clubs. Mickey gloves. Mickey Mickey Mouse gloves. My four year old son thought we were at Disneyland. <laughs> because we're riding a tram, and people are waving with Mickey gloves. He goes, oh, we're at Disneyland? I'm like, no son, we're at church. And we get there and they say, what do you like? What do you mean, what do you like? We got the gospel tent, we got the, the, the conservative tent, we have got the contemporary tent, we have got the rock and roll tent, and then we have got the big stadium with Rick. Oh, I guess I'll go to the big stadium. I sat and row like 17F, okay, I don't know, it was crazy. They had to the fold down ballpark seats, not saying they're doing anything wrong, they're doing something very different than what I would do. But another time that I visited was in Irvine. There was a new church plant, right down the street from my house. It was a, a new, smaller one, and I showed up, and I promise you there were not very many people, <coughs> kind of like here. So it was a good opportunity to meet everybody and shake hands and whatever. Nobody came up to shake hands, but when the, when the music started, all of a sudden, shh, the place filled with fog. And then, it's like the laser light show at Disneyland. And then people come out and have like, this whole like, routine. And there's like, I promise you, 17 people in there. And they're going, doing the whole show. And I thought, is this really what we're doing? We dropped my kids off at the children's ministry, and then nobody talked to us. And we just stood there while they had this celebration. Everybody was so excited on stage. And the lasers are going, and the fog, every like so often, you'd hear the fog machine ramp up. And we're just, <laughs> Now, are they doing something wrong? I don't know. But I can tell you my spidey senses were tingling. Because it didn't feel genuine. If you need fog machines and laser lights and trams and a, a music menu, I think I'll have a little bit of a gospel today. Next week we'll try the rock and roll tent. Maybe you're looking at things in the wrong light. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9. Paul asks this question. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? And he says, I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so that I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. Now here's a really interesting part. The false teachers, Bob, were actually refuting Paul. I'm sorry, Paul was refuting, charging people money to hear them speak. Let me explain. Ancient Greeks, people would, would present their thoughts and their ideas, philosophers, idea people. They would stand up there and share. chair. And if they were well known, they would charge admission. Do you wanna hear the latest thoughts from Tim? That'll be $5, come on inside and you can hear Tim's latest philosophy on life. And people would have these little followings, these little crowds and they would go out to the public square and they'd start to share whatever it is they had in their hearts or their mind and people would follow them. And so it was a great way to make money if you were a charismatic, knowledgeable philosopher. But Paul's not a philosopher, he's an apostle. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when he comes to town, he doesn't go and take a position of power and authority, he doesn't stand in the square to share and attract a crowd, and he surely isn't taking any money because he's teaching from a plain, simple, humble, timid, trembling position. He doesn't want to be seen like these guys that are glorifying themselves and that are trying to collect money. But here's the really twisted part. Because he ministered free of charge, his opponents, Bob and the other false teachers, said that Paul was an amateur. He lacked the credentials and he was not qualified to be heard by the Corinthians. Get this, so if you have the best knowledge in the world, the real, the best thing to talk about, but you choose to go humble instead of going to serve yourself, they said to him, hey, that guy doesn't have anything. Because if he was really knowledgeable, he'd be charging. If he was really smart, if he really had a good word, he'd be charging. He's an amateur, he's a rookie, he has no credential. He has no way to really collect or make money at this, so don't listen to him. That same mindset, can hurt us and the people we know and the people we love because if the only church that you think is successful is a giant mega church you're looking at it the wrong way how are you gauging success is it the size of the crowd or is it the growth of the person in their faith is it the size or the, the skill of the band or is it their, their devotion and their their relationship with the Lord that enables them to to worship in a way or to lead people to the altar, lead people to the cross. I feel like right now, especially in Orange County, because we are a very churched county, it's hard for a little church like Uncommon to be seen or to compete with, I guess, and I don't want to compete, the big guys. And you know who the big guys are. Because it's really easy. Shane told me a story about some guy from the crossing, his old church, where it's pretty big, who went to the crossing for almost a decade and would sit in the back and leave five minutes before church ended so he wouldn't have to interact with anybody. And he did that for 10 years. He, nobody knew him, he didn't know anybody, he didn't have any relationship, but he was able to go and cross church off his list for that. Is that success? Is that growth, it's another button in the seat. I don't know if he was giving, I hope he was. You could say, hey, there's another button in the seat, there's more giving, we're successful. But were they successful to him? I have a hard time sometimes when we we go through what we go through, Shane and I and Jess and everybody here that's a part of it and that works and serves. And then it's like, man, you know, I think last week it was, well, I think Labor Day, we actually had a a pretty good number of people here. But then last week we had a significant drop off. And a couple times we've had some, you know, smaller crowds. And my prideful self says, man, where is everybody? Man, why aren't we getting bigger? Man, why aren't we doing more? But then I come to know I can call each and every person here. I can talk to you about what's going on in your life. You're comfortable, at least I hope you are, if you're not, then we got to talk. Calling me and saying, Chris, pray for me. Chris, can you come to my house? Chris, can you go to the hospital? Chris, can you go to my, my, my family? I have this problem, I have this fear. And I promise you that if someone came in here for one week and tried to leave five minutes before, somebody's going to tackle him. <laughs> Hopefully. Because we, we are grading on a different scale. We're grading on a different curve. And i got to tell you, in the first couple weeks here, I thought, man, this, we're not doing it right. This stinks. This And then I talked with Gary, and I had that whole moment that I talked to you about. It's not about big church. It's about small church, big impact. What can we do? How can we play to our strengths? I don't know if you remember that conversation. But here's the thing. Showy, big, grand, polished isn't always the best. Even though Paul had every right to charge or to reap material things from the Corinthians, he chose to forego that privilege. Paul had received other offerings from other churches so he could remain financially free in wealthy Corinth. So they weren't looking at him as a taker, but they saw him as a giver. 2 Corinthians 10, 11, I'm sorry, 11, 10 through 12. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? Well, God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done, and this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. That word boast means to give glory. I don't want to boast in myself. I don't want to glorify myself. Instead, I want to glorify God. So what he's saying is, nothing's ever going to stop me from glorifying God. I'll continue to do what I've always done, and this will undercut those who want to glorify themselves. False teaching can come from the outside of the church and also from within the church. There are a few red flags that Jesus talks about in Matthew 15. I didn't put this on the screen. I'm just going to run through it real quick. A couple things. They emphasize tradition over God's word. They emphasize tradition over God's word. You ever hear that phrase, this is how we've always done it? Famous last words. The Pharisees had a rule for everything, even down to how to wash your hands. And when you have a group or a leader placing a higher priority on any man-made tradition than on God's word, a warning bell should go off in your head. When they place a greater emphasis on things that they made up, watch out. Number two, they bear rotten or no fruit. They may look sincere or pious outwardly, but inwardly their heart is cold. What does that look like? Not serving, not giving, not welcoming, Not helping the poor, not welcoming the immigrant, not welcoming the sinner. On a surface, they may appear to honor God, but under that exterior, they're often attempting to gain earthly power or wealth or status. Number three, their teaching reflects a lack of faith and spiritual insight. Their teaching reflects a lack of faith or spiritual insight. What do I mean? You ever hear that phrase, beware of a pastor that does not walk with a limp? That's a reference to Jacob wrestling with the angel and his hip got popped out of socket and he limped. Everyone, I think most pastors, have a a testimony of some kind of a struggle, some kind of a life-changing event or some kind of a weakness. And when they come to you, they preach out of that weakness. At least they should. Shane has a guy at work that was saying, aren't pastors perfect? And Shane's going, man, pastors are the most broken people in the world. We know that we need Jesus in a way that, that compels us to tell you how much you need Jesus. I couldn't do this if I didn't have a horrible hunger need for Jesus. I'm not a swimmer. If you came to the baptism, you know a brother didn't get in the water for more than a few minutes. I am not a swimmer. So I cannot preach to you the gospel of swimming, how great swimming is for fitness, how wonderful and relaxing an ocean swim might be. I've got guys at work that go surfing every morning. They come in, their hair is all wet, and they're just like, oh, so amazing. the, The waves were great today. And I'm just like, I will never experience that because I don't swim, so I can't come to you and tell you how wonderful surfing is or how wonderful the game of water polo is or how wonderful it is to dive off of a 10 meter platform because if I did that, I would probably die. My son played water polo, I couldn't help him, I couldn't give him any tips. I was like, I hope you don't drown. (laughs) I can't preach or teach about swimming just like if you've never needed God, if you've never felt totally depraved, as they say, and you just really had nowhere to turn to but the Lord, if you've never felt that need or that void, you're going to have a hard time telling somebody about Jesus. If you ever notice a lot of these false prophets, false teachers, there's always an and. Let me tell you what I mean. We preach from the Bible. The Mormons preach from the Bibles and the Book of Mormon. The Jehovah's Witness. They don't preach from just the Bible. It's the Bible and the watchtower. It's the Bible and. The Catholics have the Bible and confession. The Bible and uh, confirmation and the Hail Marys and all this other stuff. Anytime there's an and, you're spidey since should Scripture alone is supreme. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Number four, they're led by the spiritually blind. Jesus said, Matthew 15, 12 through 14, it's not up there, but I'll read it. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? Jesus offended a lot of people. (laughs) Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Doesn't get much simpler than that. How do you know that your leader or a leader is spiritually blind? A couple ways. Authoritarianism. They're always right. Never to be questioned. Their word is law. They're seen as the final authority. Exclusiveness, everybody else is wrong. This is the real gospel, this is the real church. If somebody invites you, one of my cousins said, oh, you know, our church has got the real teaching. Everybody else is fake, watch out for exclusiveness. Greed, when you're doing a GoFundMe for a plane, you might be greedy. Or if you're Joel Osteen, as you mentioned earlier, and you live in a $13 million house in Houston, you might be a little greedy. Fourth the sensuality. There are so many pastors that I think fall every day to some kind of sexual sin. Did you see the thing with Ariana Grande where the pastor's grabbing her and like all around the waist and everything and everybody said, ooh, that just doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Aretha Franklin's funeral, Ariana Grande sang a song and the pastor that was running the show was grabbing her but he was grabbing her in a very inappropriate way. He says it's an accident. He didn't mean anything by it. I'll take the man at his word. However, there are a lot of pastors out there that are caught doing other things that are maybe not so innocent. So, sensuality is another. Last but not least, no accountability. I don't know if you've heard of, uh, I'm just calling everybody out tonight, I guess. Steven Furtick has no accountability board. He has an overseer board, some friends of his. Nobody knows what he makes. He makes all the decisions. There's no one to keep him or hold him accountable. And I don't know. That's something I read a little while back. Maybe things have changed. And I certainly don't want to attack him. But when we planted this church, Shane and I said, okay, both of us, we're we're a team. So we're going to be our first line of defense. But we also have a team of uh, accountability people, pastors and friends from other churches that are here to guide us and hold us accountable. Gary is one of them. Gary is the senior pastor here, if you don't know. If you have someone that has no other, uh, no one to answer to, where they're above all the rules and the rules don't apply or they offer excuses or exceptions for everything they do or how they act. And this is my favorite, I'm being persecuted. You hear that one a lot, when somebody has no accountability, when someone calls them on something, a lot of pastors or false teachers will say, oh, they just, they're, they're accusing, they're, they're persecuting me because of the gospel. So why does all this happen? Ben, you can come up. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 through 15, Paul writes... These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And in the end, they will get get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve. If you want to discover the source of false ministries and false teaching, number one, examine their doctrinal statement. When I went to that church in Costa Mesa, I didn't look at their statement of faith. I just said, hey, ABC USA, I know those guys, let's rock. If I had read it, I'd have known I was in the wrong place. Number two, examine the private lives of their leader. Here's a good question, how are you supposed to do that? If you're not sure about Uncommon Church, how do you dig into the private lives of Shane or of me? It's really easy, all you gotta do is ask. Facebook, Instagram, hang out with me, come over for dinner, come to a potluck, we're accessible. It's those guys that are untouchable, that have security, that never come out and shake the hands of the people in their church. I don't know. I guess I've never been to some of those churches. I can't make uh, assumptions, but I have to assume when you're doing 14 services a weekend and you're on television and you're being broadcast to 10 other locations, you probably don't have a lot of time to sit down and have a coffee with the people in your church. But if you want to know the private lives of their leaders, all you got to do is ask. The last thing I want to point out is that false teachers. This isn't an accident. This isn't something that they just, bless you, tripped upon. This is, this is sinful. This is demonic. This is supernatural in nature. We talked a few, a couple weeks ago, about how we don't. Uh, the battles we face aren't always man on man. Sometimes it's the forces and the spirits behind Ephesians six. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Bless you again. False teaching comes from one source and one source only. That supernatural origin, it's demonic. Am I saying that Joel Osteen is possessed with the demon of greed? Not necessarily, no. I don't think he's possessed like the exorcist, okay? But he is being influenced by something other than God. He's being influenced, tempted, or he's even giving in to some things that are not like Christ. And that's not to say he's a bad person because we all struggle with sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Shane is not perfect. I am definitely so stinking imperfect. You guys, whoo, imperfection abounds. But the difference is, do you learn? And do you turn away from whatever it is that's influencing you? When people come to you and talk to you and say, hey, man, I noticed you're struggling with X, Y, and Z. Or I noticed you're different. I noticed you sound different. You walk different. You talk different. What's up? bless you again, and you don't have that conversation where you're able to say, you know what, I need some prayer, I need some help, I need to step away, I need a minute, then you are willfully ignorant in your sin. And when someone is willfully ignorant in their sin, and they're deciding to walk in this willful ignorance, and they're deciding to be less than what God has called them to be, they're actively deciding to live a life that they know is displeasing to the Lord, that is something we automatically have to see and walk away from. We have to distance ourselves from. Why are these things so important? Because not all ministries are truly God's ministries. And it's up to us to be able to discern the difference. It's up to us that when we're invited to a friend's church and we go there and we say, hey, this doesn't feel right, that we get the heck out of there. But not only that, that we're deputies and we try to save as many people as we can and say, look, this doesn't match. This doesn't add up. Look, what he said doesn't match with what the Bible says. And I've said this before, I'm saying it again. Every day, every Saturday, you guys need to go home and read your Bible. Every time you hear me say something, take it and go home and test it. See if what I said matches up with what you know of the Bible. See if my interpretation is on par with the interpretations of your favorite teachers or theologians. I'm going to get some stuff wrong, I promise you. And there are so many things, even in this scripture alone, that I can't touch or I can't teach about because we're limited on time. So if you ever have a question and you want to have a deeper discussion, you can come to Shane or me or Gene or anybody and say, Hey, you mentioned something last week and it didn't make sense to me. Or, hey, you mentioned something last week and it's contrary to what I heard at this church down the street. Can you tell me why you feel the way you feel? Can you tell me why you believe what you believe? And any pastor worth two beans will sit down and share with you exactly why they believe what they believe. And if it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense, and you take your little deputy star and you hightail it into the sunset. So this week, I've said this before, this has been a takeaway before, trust, but verify. I'm not saying you have to be the, 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 the church cop where you walk in every day, boom, freeze on the floor your little deputy star, which commentaries did you use? Put your hands on the Bible. You're not a cop, but you're surely a deputy. The other thing is pray for discernment. I think this week you will probably have an opportunity where your spidey senses tingle. When that happens, pray, ask God what you should do. Is this an opportunity where you should stay away? Or is this an opportunity where you should recruit, where you should challenge? If you're unsure, call somebody. Talk about it, call me, call Shane. But there are a lot of people out there right now. And I know I talked about some specific people tonight. That always makes me a little bit uncomfortable because once we podcast this or you know, anybody hears this, they're gonna be like, ooh, he said something about my church. Well, bring it on, I guess. And we can sit down and I can tell you why I feel the way I feel. And you can tell me why you feel the way you feel. But this week, if you have that opportunity where your spidey senses tingle, pray about it. Figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to proceed. And you might be able to save somebody else. If nothing else, please, for everything you've ever heard me say, save yourself. Listen to your spiritual gift of discernment. Listen to the things that the power that lives within you, the Holy Spirit is is reminding you of and making you physically uncomfortable because he knows and he's trying to remind you john 15 i think it is remind you of what we learned remind you of what jesus said remind you of what you what you what you experienced and what you heard so that feeling of spidey senses as i call it is a reminder that this doesn't go with who and what you know so this week when you feel that tingle pray about it and see where god leads Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to do one more song.